You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Danny Welniak is the sports director for the CBS affiliate Kansas City. She knows her way around the football field and not just because she has served as the sideline reporter for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Danny actually played professional football in the IWFL, which is the Independent Women's Football League, which merged with the uh, WFA, the Women's Football Alliance. And she didn't just play, she was good. She was part of the Dallas Diamonds who won the 2008 league championship. And she'll show you her ring if you ask her. She was a three-time three all-star and was part of the first Team USA that beat Canada 67-0 for the gold medal in international competition. Uh, she played with and against Liz and Katie Sowers. Katie gained fame recently as the first full-time female coach uh, to coach in the Super Bowl when her 49ers lost Super Bowl 54 to, um, uh, oh yeah, my Kansas City Chiefs. She's one of the nicest people in our local media, and she's gracious enough to join us today. Danny, welcome to Sports Connections. Hey, thank you so much for having me, David. And yes, like I mentioned, or you mentioned rather, that I do have the Super Bowl ring. So oh. I brought it with me. And um, if anybody wants to you know, see it a little bit closer, put it on. I am more than willing to do that. Just don't run away with it. That's my only request. There you go. I, <laughs> I had a book signing with Bobby Bell, and he had his, his 1970 Super Bowl ring. And the Chiefs gave him a new one. And I asked if I could put it on. He said, no. He said, I've had too many people do that. And then they try and run away with it. He goes, I trust you, but no. So yeah, it's good to or know that you'll, you'll let me fingers. try it on. It, it might go on my pinky, <laughs> but uh, good, to know. Yeah. good to know that. Well, I want to start with an obvious question. How did you get connected with professional football? Okay. So, um, it's kind of a crazy story. I grew up in Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas. And, um, the crazy thing is, is that down there, football is obviously a religion. And right. so women don't really play the sport down there. You're usually right. a cheerleader or a kicker. Like that's, those are pretty much your two options. Um, I have seen women break the barrier and attempt to do, uh, more like receiver, or now I've seen an offensive lineman recently. So wow. that barrier is being broken, but back when I was in high school, so I'm going to date myself, but I graduated in 2007 and, um, that just wasn't, that just wasn't a thing. So wait, wait, um, wait, wait, I, you, you graduated in two, I graduated in 1977. So I'll, you know, okay, pay, so pay me some respect. But That's no, not, so it's been a while. Okay, go ahead. It's not right. dating myself. Okay, so I appreciate that. Um, but my senior year in high school, um, I was planning to go to uh, college to be a marine biologist. I had my sights set on playing softball at the University of Hawaii. And um, that was like my goal. I wanted to be the next crocodile hunter. That was like the plan. Um, but during my senior year powder puff game, uh, one of my friend's cousins actually saw me play, saw me play softball um, and recruited me to play on this women's professional football team in Texas. And at first I thought, okay, this is, yeah, I, I don't know what I think about this. We're going to have to like check this out and see. Make sure the um, date's not April 1st. Exactly. Right. Uh, and so, so I went out to a tryout and I absolutely fell in love with it. And the offensive coordinator at the time told me, Hey, if you don't go play college softball, you should really consider this because you could be a game changer. And I really, really thought about it. And I asked a couple of people that were really close to me what they thought. 
Um, my mom was all about it, about staying closer to home and going to a junior college while I played pro football rather than going, you know, across the ocean and yeah. playing at Hawaii where she probably wouldn't be able to watch me play. Um, and so I just, I fell in love with it. And after one season of trying to figure everything out, I, I wanted to play more and I wanted to play longer. And that's kind of how I fell into it. It has been a blast and a blessing and has definitely opened up a lot of doors for me. Now, did you have siblings that played played sports? I mean, how did you be, how did you start to like football? Um, so it, I do have siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and they both played sports in high school as well. But I think that I fell in love with football mainly because um, there were uh, some people in my life um, that really got me into the Dallas Cowboys and okay. um, my. Uh, my mom was engaged to a gentleman for a little while who worked uh, Dallas Cowboys autograph sessions. And um, uh, there were a couple times where I got an opportunity to, before he was the Tony Romo and the starter for the Dallas Cowboys, I got to sit with him and talk to him about football and how much he loved it and kind of pick his brain about stuff. And um, he, he probably doesn't remember it, but there was a time where I asked him about this decision and about, you know, women playing football. And he said, you know, you got to follow your dreams and you got to do it no matter what anybody else says. And so um, that was a big, uh, a big turning point in wanting to pursue football. But um, I think that was a big part of it, just being around the professional level sport, being around those guys. And then my dad played uh, linebacker at the University of Nebraska, my biological father. And he um, is obviously a huge football fan. So yeah. being able to talk to him and kind of also pick his brain about it um, was a big part of that. But I really, in all honesty, have to give a lot of credit to my mom because she was the one who took us to the football games and took yeah. us to those autograph sessions. And she was the one on Sundays who was all decked out in Dallas Cowboys attire <laughs> yeah. and excited about the game. So, um, I have a lot of influences, but, um, she definitely has to be first and foremost. Okay. Now you've mentioned powder puff football, what you play professional football. That's not powder puff football. This is, <laughs> This is the rough and tumble. This is serious stuff. How physical is it? So it's 11 on 11. It's helmets, pads, the whole shebang. It's NFL rules, um, except the ball's a little bit smaller and we kick off from five yards shorter. So it's full tackle. Um, I've had multiple opportunities to uh, get injured. And oh, wow. um, maybe I'll, if, if you decide to delve into that a little bit later in this conversation, I will share my story. Um, but Go yeah, ahead. I've done. Okay. Well, I, uh, in 2008, when we won the Super Bowl, I think it was, it was the third or fourth game into the season. And I actually broke my fibula in two places mm-hmm. and it um, was an, a 26 off G play and uh, two linebackers came across and one on top, one on bottom, and it just popped. And so I, had a very difficult time getting up, um, but was kind of in shock. So ended up with a plate, five screws. But the testimony of this story is that with a lot of prayer, a lot of work, um, and a lot of stubborn headedness, uh, I was able to come back actually six weeks later and play in the playoffs. Yeah. And start in the Super Bowl in 2008. So a lot of people going to say that I'm crazy. Yes. Uh, but it is, so? <laughs> it was something that I felt like was an incredible accomplishment. And that ring that I get to put my, put on my hand means a lot more because of the adversity that I had to overcome. So it's definitely physical. 
Yeah, I guess so. It, you know, it, men who are honest will admit that women are tougher than we are. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. I mean, the, the childbearing is enough evidence to, you know, for everything, but how many guys break their legs playing football and come back six weeks later? That just, that just doesn't happen. Not many. And also <laughs> at that point I was, I didn't know how much longer I was going to play. And I think yeah. if you put anyone's foot to the fire, especially athletes, yeah. if you think this is your last opportunity to be on a field or to play the game that you love, yeah. you're literally going to do anything you can to be back out there. So was I a hundred percent? Probably not, yeah. but I still wanted that opportunity because I didn't know how long I was going to be able to play. So one of my questions was, did you worry about getting hurt? Apparently not. <laughs> you can't. You get out there and you just have a completely different mindset because you kind of, you get into it so much that it's like, I don't want to say a war because it's a very, very right. different thing. Right. But the battle of being there for your teammates and putting your body on the line and being willing to basically sacrifice yourself so that your team and your teammates can become better versions of themselves is just a remarkable thing to be a part of. Yeah. And there isn't that fear of getting hurt because when you put on those helmets and pads, you almost feel invincible because it's like you transform into a superhero. And you're just a different person out there on the field. And so that fear wasn't there. And then you also have the trust in your teammates that they're going to protect you and they're going to pick up their blocks and that you're going to be, you know, you're going to be the one who ends up in the end zone and there, you know, won't be any problems. So I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to get hurt, but it's definitely a, a possibility. And that's kind of the, the risk reward that you weigh yeah. when you play football. Now you were uh, you were a mostly a receiver, but you also did running back. And you told me that that you were a defensive back, but you weren't very good at it. So maybe that's <laughs> some of that self, you know, the uh, self depreciating humor. But just talk about your game. What were your strengths? It keeps you very humble uh, if they move <laughs> you around. So our team, and I will boast a little bit. Our team was so good. There were times where we would play teams. Um, and we would blow them out so bad that they'd end up having to forfeit at halftime. So those were the opportunities that I got to play corner. Um, and I, I had a couple of pick sixes, so that's kind of cool. But, um, the moment I knew I didn't want to play defensive back anymore was when I got, I got beat on a post corner by a tight end coming out of the slot. And she made this amazing circus catch as I'm flat on my face looking up and she's all by herself and she takes it into the end zone. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done yeah. being scored on. I want to be the one who scores. So, um, yeah, so that's when I decided I was like, I'm going to be just a receiver. And so, and a running back and they used me, the diamonds used me a lot, like kind of like Tyree kill McCall yeah. Hardman. So I did a lot of the stuff out of the backfield and was real quick. Um, and I did punt and kickoff return. And that was kind of my, my forte. I made a lot of my mark there. Um, but yeah, I was, I was pretty good. I mean, if you talk to Katie or Liz, like you mentioned at the beginning, they'll, they'll toot my horn for me and tell me that I was one of the best and to be able to have a Super Bowl ring, to be a three-time pro bowler, um, and to be a part of the first ever women's national team to play over in Sweden was just a remarkable accomplishment. And I think speaks volumes. I was also, uh, the 2007 rookie of the year. So I got my 
my statue statue. I say it's, it's like a little trophy, like this big that I get to, that I get to boast a little bit about too. Um, and I take a lot of pride in, in being, and being able to say that I was one of the best to play the game. And in reality, one of the first to really play the game at a high level. So, uh, do you think that women will ever be, I mean, we we learned recently that the, uh, Negro leagues baseball stats would count and, and that, you know, the, the Negro leagues are now part of the, the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown. Do you think that women's football will ever be, uh, part of the pro football hall of fame? Um, I know that it's making its mark because you have people like Jen Welter, who's the first female coach in the national football league as an interim. She, is now in the pro football hall of fame for what she did. And it mentions okay. that she played for the diamonds and that, um, that's part of her resume. And then both Katie and Liz, I know Katie's in there for sure. Um, yeah. and it also mentions her background of being a professional football player. So I think from that standpoint, it, it does, and it will. Um, but I don't necessarily think stats will ever be compared. Right. And I don't, I don't think they should because the women's football just isn't there yet. And there's a long way to go. And I do recognize that it is incredibly difficult for women to play with men. We're just built differently. Right. It's just, it's just yeah. a reality that I think people have to realize. Can they play? Absolutely. And we just saw that with Vanderbilt, um, and yeah. their kicker who got an opportunity to do that. So the, the limb it's limitless in what women are capable of doing. But I also think that it is very, very important for women to have their own leagues and to have their own, um, set of records and to be able to catch on as a sport. And I look at the WNBA kind of as the epitome of all that they have the backing of the NBA. And now you have the, um, NWSL who's getting the backing of major league soccer. Right. And I think that's so huge. That's, what's going to get women's sports going is the support of their men's counterparts. And right. so when I talk about wanting, you know, women's sports to be big, I also recognize that that doesn't happen without the support of right. the men who have been playing at the highest level as well. And, and I didn't mean that the stats would be in there. I just meant would there, is there a possibility that there would be, um, you know, like I, I think there, and I've, I haven't been to Cooperstown or to um, yeah, Cooperstown in a long time, but I understand that there is a, a small display of the women's baseball league during mm-hmm. world war two. The, I guess what I was thinking is you think there will ever be, I guess, here's my question. How do you look in gold? (laughs) Um, I don't think women will be getting their busts anytime soon in Canton. Uh, But I do think that at some point, once the leagues can gain some traction and can actually um, have a standard set of stat navigation and tracking, then I do think and believe that there will be a section for them in the pro football hall of fame, but we got to get there first. Yeah. That would be really cool. Now, before we go to your broadcasting career, um, the playing for team USA, even though it was, even though it was something that probably very few people knew about how cool was that? And I think you have a prop for us. I do. Yeah. I can, I come bearing um, visual aid as I am a broadcaster. <laughs> I know how important these things are. Yeah. So um, this was the uh, helmet that I wore for team USA. It's a Revo speed and um, it's 
an older version, but it's still very near and dear to my heart. And I display it in our living room because what every, every good living room needs a helmet, right? That's right. Um, (laughs) You can't see it because of my backdrop, but I got a chief's helmet that I got when I was like eight years old and it doesn't fit, but it's, it's a regular size (laughs) helmet with the single bar across because that's how old I am. But yeah, yeah, every, every room, not just living room, every room needs a football helmet in it. So go ahead. I definitely appreciate that. Also considering that our nursery, our brand new nursery, we just have a, a seven month old and she, the first, one of the first things she was sent was a little Oklahoma state helmet. And so that's up in her nursery. doesn't match anything. Of course it doesn't, hey, but you got to have matter. a helmet in every room, right? That's right. That's uh, right. <laughs> so talk so, about, talk, talk about representing the USA. Yeah, it was an absolute blast and a blessing. It was crazy how it was something so kind of foreign and far-fetched. And most people, when I told them about it, asked if it was a flag football team or um, something else. And you're like, no, this is gridiron. This is the helmets, the pads, everything. And it was interesting because you got to meet so many different women from across the world who want to play this sport. And women who play it at an elite level. But the thing was that really surprised me as well is just how far and above women in gridiron, I'll call it gridiron, considering if I call it football over there internationally, people think that yeah. it's soccer. Right. Um, but how advanced women over here in the United States of America are compared to other countries. And a lot of that is because of the opportunities that we've been given over here and the chance to play uh, with our brothers in the backyard or play with our sisters and our moms in uh, at high school football fields. And so I think a lot of credit deserves to be given to what we have done here in America. And um, I know we still have a long way to go, but the fact that, you know, we can blow out a team 67 and nothing yeah. in the championship game to win a gold medal when you're playing the best of the best from across the world, I think speaks volumes to just our athletes and to women over here and the dedication and determination that they have to being the best of the best. And it's just it's so cool to me that it's and it's still going on and um, they do it, I think. I think every four years. And so I know that Katie and Liz have been a part of a couple different teams. I was only a part of one because of how it fell. It was my last season um, playing with the diamonds and you had to be on an active roster in order to participate. So just to be a part of that, to make history was absolutely incredible. And now I can come back and tell the world and tell, you know, just people in our own backyard that, Hey, it's, it's now an international sport and it's really, really cool. Yeah. That, that I just love hearing these stories. And so um, I want to talk to you about, we hear about males who play college or pro sports and then get into broadcasting just to stick around the game. You know, you said you were going to go be a Marine biologist and now you're a broadcaster. Did your love for sports cause you to change that? Yes. Um, I actually, decided that I wanted to be a a broadcaster because when I played for the diamonds, we would have local news reporters Uh and sports reporters come out to our practices. We had uh, one lady who participated in a practice and did a story on that. And then we had people who would come and cover our games. um, And it was so interesting to me to see these people who were 
their job was to be around sports. It was to come talk to us. And honestly, it made a really big impact on me. So I wanted to do something similar where I could tell people stories when I know a lot of people don't know much about women's football. So what else is out there that we don't know necessarily about that I can tell those stories? And the reporters would always be smiling and they'd always be excited and they were personable. And I thought, gosh, to do something where I am smiling and enjoying people's company for a living just sounds like the best job ever. And so um, I fell in love with that and uh, decided that I wanted to um, try out Oklahoma State, which had just been trying out a sports media program um, and wasn't necessarily that far from Dallas. So my mom was very happy about that. And uh, that was how I kind of got my start. And, and again, the same thing was like, I just wanted to try it out and I ended up falling in love with it. And sure enough, again, I'm going to date myself. David, I apologize for this because then you'll probably say something about me dating you, but uh, <laughs> I, gra- I graduated in 2011. And so 10 years later, here I am in Kansas City and still doing the thing that I love most. And, you know, Danny, it, it fits your personality. I've, I've been around you, I don't know, 50 times at different sporting events, whether it's, you know, Royals game or in the Chiefs locker room during practice or, or whatever. And I've never seen you not looking like you do right now, smiling, bubbly. So to do that professionally, it just fits you. I mean, it it just fits your personality. And how much does that enter into it? Oh, it's huge because I think that if you don't have a passion for this, and I think, David, you've probably seen some of these people in this industry where, you know, you've gotten to a point where you're burnt out. And let's be completely honest. It happens. And it's very easy to do because we grind. This is one of the most difficult industries to get into and to stay in because of the long hours that you work, because of the crazy things that are expected of you, the ridiculous deadlines, and a lot of times the egos that you work with. So it's it's difficult to stay in this industry. So I completely understand how people get burnt out, but the people who are kind of at the end of their rope are they don't necessarily get the best stories and the people that you're interacting with can feel that and sense that. And they don't want to talk to you about their lives. if They don't feel like you actually care. So I think it's a big part of being successful in this industry is just actually caring about people and wanting to know their story without, you know, needing that soundbite or just wanting to get to break something like it's about creating relationships and it's about having fun while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks at times, but it's so much fun because it's so rewarding when you do get to make those connections with people and you do get to tell the stories about the athlete under the helmet or behind the scenes or the Mitchell Schwartz who loves to cook and you get to follow him around while he's doing what he loves most. And so um, that I think plays a big part of it because people just want to, they just want to be comfortable with you. And I'm, we are exactly the same. I don't want to be around somebody who doesn't love life. Yeah. I want to be around Salvador Perez all the time. Who's literally running around the clubhouse saying how awesome everyone is. So it's, it's just point in case of, um, people want to be around sports because it's happy and because it's fun. And even if you are in the middle of a double digit losing streak, you can still, enjoy the fact that you're not covering doom and gloom, which I give a lot of credit to people who are in the news industry because you're covering deaths and you're covering 
politics and you're covering the heavy stuff that yeah. do affect all of us. Whereas sports is kind of like, okay, well, we lost today. That's the worst, the worst thing that happens to us is, is pretty much that. So, um, I, cover I recess. Love <laughs> exactly. No? And, and I, I know exactly what you're saying, Danny, because when, when I first started this podcast and I told you that some friends of mine suggested that I do it because I've been interviewing people in sports for 40 years and I, and they said, just have conversations. And, you know, I've written 22 books. I'm working on 23 through 26 right now. And, and the best part of those, uh, those projects are the interviews, you know, getting to know somebody. So, you know, what we're doing right now, I'm not working. I'm just sitting talking to a friend on the computer. So I understand that completely. I want to ask you about a difficult part of of your job, though, how hard is it for a female to rise in the ranks of television sports? Hmm. That's a really good question, because I do think that there has been a little bit of a shift over the past decade. And thank God for some of the women who broke those barriers and those ceilings, because without them, I would not be where I am today. And it's difficult from the standpoint that there still are the preconceived notions out there that women should be doing certain careers and men should be doing other careers. And so, um, it's, again, it's changing. It's getting better. I go into those locker rooms and a lot of times the guys respect me just as much as they respect the male reporters. And I think a big part of that too, is my background and being able to say, Hey, you know, I've taken a hit just like you have, um, you know, I've hit, I've hit a home run just like you have. And so that helps a lot. Um, but a big part of it is also just knowing your stuff. And a lot of people will hold you to a different standard, especially in TV, in that not only do you have to be presentable on air and be personable on air, but you also have to be able to pronounce everybody's name right and be able to um, know the difference between an ERA and an RBI. So it's right. um, it can be it can be difficult trying to break people out of that perception and those philosophies, but in the same breath, I think that that is changing a lot. And I just, I see it every single day. And I, I've even seen it just in the past five years that I've been here in Kansas city, the change walking into those locker rooms and talking to different people. So while it's difficult, I also do believe that it is getting easier, um, as, as people see more women get into the industry. Do you ever, you know, when you're inter- interviewing somebody, maybe for the first time, a rookie with the chiefs or somebody like that, you ever say, Hey, I I've been where you are. I played professional football as well. Have you ever had to use that? Okay. So I have a really good story actually. So, okay. um, when Chris Jones first came in, it was the first year that I came in as well. And it was the first year that I was on the chiefs radio network and I, had no idea anybody. So I wore my ring around everywhere and I went into the locker room for, it had to have been like the second or third time. And I was talking to him about some stuff and I brought up football and was kind of like, okay, like kind of feeling it out. Well, then I went to shake his hand after I was done interviewing him and he grabbed my hand and he flipped it over and he looked at it. He goes, what in the world is that? Probably not the exact wording he used, but (laughs) <laughs> it was pretty close. Hey, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> he, and I go, you know, that's my Super Bowl ring. Um, I 
played women's professional football and all that stuff. I gave him the whole background and I go, hopefully someday you guys end up with one of those too. And he was like, well, I plan on bringing one of those here to Kansas city. And sure enough, here we are five years later and the chiefs have a super bowl ring. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Did you, um, after they won the super bowl, did you go compare rings? I mean, did you ever have that opportunity to (laughs) say, you know, you remember you told me you were going to get one of those. Yes. Yes, I did. And, uh, my, although my Super Bowl ring is large and gaudy, let me see if I can put it on my, so it's like, yeah, it's a pretty good little knuckle ring. Um, it is not nearly the same size as the, as the chief's ring. So it's a little bit bigger, but it's still big. And, um, it's still fun to be able to go around now. And like, even McCole Hardman would give me a hard time about my Super Bowl ring and talk about how big it was. And now he just, he jokes with me about, Oh, well, okay. Looks like mine's, mine's a little bit bigger. Like, I'm, yes, yes, it is. I'm reaching for something here. A friend gave me this and it's, it's a fake one. That's awesome. It's a fit. And all, I mean, it's got a hundred or so diamonds on there and it's got the, I don't know if the, it will show it there. It's got the KC logo and stuff like this. That is so cool. It probably cost about 20 bucks, but I, I would wear it when I do a book signing for my chief's book. And people would say, wow, did you play? (laughs) No, I cheered though. (laughs) So I, I, that is, that is a cool thing. I'm glad you, I'm glad you don't um, shy away from that. The fact that you wear that and that that's, that's part of your story. That's part of what makes you who you are. And to be able to talk about that is really, is really cool. I want to talk about women's professional football here in Kansas city. Kansas city has a women's team. Just tell us about that. And, and you're, are you involved in any way? Okay. So they started out as the Kansas city Titans and that's who I played when I was a player. They evolved into, uh, the, the Kansas city. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. They started as the Kansas city tribe and that's who I played against. They evolved into the Kansas city Titans. Uh, when I came up here under new ownership and was able to be part of their board of directors and ended up getting their, um, games broadcast on KSMO on the weekends on our sister station. So that was kind of a big, exciting accomplishment that I was able to be a part of. Um, and then just recently over the past year, they, um, got new ownership, went into a different league and are now called the Kansas City Glory. But throughout all of this, like you mentioned, both Katie and Liz Sowers have been a big part of these organizations. Um, Katie no longer plays. Liz is now the head coach at Ottawa University for the first ever women's flag football team at the college level. They actually just won the national championship this past weekend. And um, I believe that she's still quarterbacking the glory. So um, it's pretty cool to be able to see that that's still happening here in Kansas City. And I believe that the season runs like April or May through July. So it's going on right now. Um, and they play at high schools. Um, and I, I think it's Shawnee mission North right now, but I'm not hundred percent for sure off the top of my head. But, uh, if people get an opportunity to go check it out, it's really, really good football. And, um, it's, it's definitely trying to gain traction. And I think a big part of that is that you do uh, these women's football has gone through so many different changes and it's very, um, it's very broken. It's broken up. And so you have different leagues that are trying to compete against each other. And when you're trying to gain traction as just a sport in general, that's really difficult to do. So, um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, 
the, the tickets are cheap. It's a good Saturday night event. And hopefully it's something awesome that even that young girls can go out and check out and kind of have a new idea of maybe what their hopes and dreams are someday and realize that, Hey, you know what? I can, I can play football too. Yeah. And Shawnee Mission North is about three, three minutes from your station. Do you ever uh, get to go cover their games? Um, I've been to two, I think, over the past couple of years as like coverage of games, but I have done quite a few stories. So getting out there to kind of feature focus some of the players. Um, I did a story on their quarterback last year, the year before I did one um, on one of their defensive backs who also was a teacher. And so it's, it's a lot of fun and um, the opportunity to be able to tell their stories and actually kind of reach that niche that most people don't know about is really cool. And even following someone like Liz and Katie who are making history and to be good friends with them. I am just so incredibly proud of the start that we all came from and where a lot of these women have gotten to and just what they've created. I mean, even so Sam Rappaport is the head of, um, I believe it's the, uh, recruiting for like recruiting women into the national football league and to get them as role players, as officials or executives or coaches. And I played against her when she played for Seattle. So it's like all of these women that I played against and played with who are still my friends are a big part of getting and changing the world as we know it and getting more women into football. And I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to interview Sarah Thomas um, yes. for the for the podcast and we actually released that uh, May 10th along with the interview I did with Tim Grunhardt so Sarah's Sarah's a great gal and great role model for a lot of people so I want you to put on you know put on your you know hold up one of those little masks uh your Brad G or Ted Cruz of the Chiefs tell people why they should go watch AKC Glory game Well, first and foremost, it's nothing like anything you've ever seen before because it's different than the men's game. And it's a lot of fun because the fans really get into it. Now, there's not a whole lot of fan bases like the Dallas Diamonds who had thousands of fans who came to their games. But the glory still has quite a good following. And Liz is an awesome quarterback. I mean, you can get onto her social media page and just see some of the quarterback drills that she goes through and how these women are preparing um, to play each and every week. And the beautiful thing about it is that if you're not sponsored, then you have to pay your own way. And so the dedication of these women, they have to have second jobs. So a lot of them are either students like I was, or um, they're teachers, or they have day jobs and they practice in the evenings and then they play on Saturdays. So you're not just seeing athletes who get to work out, you know, eight hours a day, and this is all they do. I mean, these women have two full-time jobs, so they are competing at the highest level while also trying to be the best of the best in other professions. And that to me is just so inspiring and so cool that you need to get out there and support it, but also just be excited for a really good time. There's a lot of fun surrounding it. They make it an event. And it's not going to take up, you know, too much time, but it's still a good Saturday evening for the entire family. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll shoot you an email and we'll figure out a time. We'll go watch a game together. 
deal. Let's do it. I need to get my daughter out there now too, especially since she's going to be an up and comer. I'm, I already have a football in her hands. So maybe she's the next, uh, maybe she's the next Liz Sowers for the glory. There you go. And, and you mentioned a little bit of this, but how proud of you, how proud were you of Katie uh, coaching in the Super Bowl, the, the other Super Bowl? Well, let's call it the, you got, you played in the Super Bowl. We'll call it the other Super Bowl. The other Super Bowl. I like that. <laughs> um, I will be completely honest with you. I was very emotional. It was so incredibly cool to be able to see her and live out her dream. But not only that, but also just be a source of inspiration for people across the nation. Some of the things that she was now, was she getting a lot of bad feedback? Absolutely. But sure. the positive feedback is what outweighs that. And just yeah. the lives she was changing by being an offensive assistant. I mean, she wasn't even like a, a position coach. She was overseeing a lot of that and wasn't necessarily in front of, you know, in front of the camera or on the field the whole time. So just by being successful and being different, not being afraid to be yourself, she impacted little girls, little boys, and just men and women in general by changing the perception of what a coach in the NFL looks like. And so um, I told people that, you know, if the Chiefs lost, it was still a win-win for me because I would get to see Katie get a Super Bowl ring um, and see her family really excited for her. But in the same breath, you know, if the Chiefs won, then we would get to cover that and get to celebrate a little bit. So it was a win-win. You got to be honest with me, though. Deep down, who were you rooting for? Well, because I'm selfish, I wanted the Chiefs to win and I wanted to be a part of the celebration on the field with the confetti and getting a chance to talk to the guys because, you know, I mean, you understand you form relationships with these guys and you get to know them uh, just as well as some of your friends. So I was, I had a lot more ties to the chiefs and hoping that they would win a super bowl than I did to the 49ers. Literally Katie was the only reason. So there were more reasons that I wanted the chiefs to win. Does that make sense? It it does. So you, excuse me. So you can, um, you, you could say you were rooting for the Chiefs, but unlike the rest of us, you weren't going to be just totally devastated if they lost. Is that <laughs> Correct. Fair? That's okay. fair to say. Very much so. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, you you talked about uh, the fact that you have a new baby. Just I always like to let people wrap up with this. Talk about your family. Oh, well, my big thing is I, I focus on Faith, family, and then football, which is kind of a metaphor for my career as well. And if I don't keep those three things in alignment, then the good Lord likes to humble me and finds ways to uh, let me know that I'm not on track. And so it's such a blessing. My husband is the biggest reason or let's say the second biggest reason that I am where I am today because he has sacrificed a lot and he gives me so much support that I just can't even, uh, can't even put into words how blessed I am to have him in my life. So he's the best teammate ever. Obviously my mom is probably the biggest reason that I'm here today because of how much she sacrificed and she was a single mom for a lot of our lives. Um, so to be able to show us that strong independent, um, but also Proverbs 31 woman, she, 
was my biggest role model growing up and still is. I admire everything that she's done and how far she's come. And then, of course, my daughter, her name's Cameron, and she just turned seven months old. And we just dedicated her to the church this past weekend on Mother's Day. So that was really, really special. And um, I'm excited to be a mom. It's really, really cool. It's a completely different chapter than anything that I've ever done before. And as you know, it definitely keeps your priorities in line without you having to think about it. (laughs) So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I I remember um, my kids were probably preteen and my brother-in-law, his wife was pregnant with their first and he, they lived in Idaho at the time and they came back to Kansas city and he was complaining about having to go to the doctor every week for checkups and stuff. And he said something that we rub in his face now, 25 years later, he said, I can't wait until this baby's born and life calms down a little bit. <laughs> That's not how it works. No, That's not no, how we, it works. We all laughed at him and he thought he was, you know, he didn't think he was funny, but no, he's learned the, learned the hard way. That's not true. Okay. Last question I ask everybody, and this is going to be an interesting one. You, I always tell people you can answer it. You can interpret the question and answer it however you want. But you've got such an interesting story. What's your legacy? Ooh, um, that's good. I, my legacy, I think, is to encourage others to find joy where they necessarily wouldn't find it otherwise. And to make sure that, again, you, I say it as fun alliteration. I say faith, family, and football. Right. But to prioritize the things in your life is so, so incredibly important because down the road, you'll look back and you'll realize what you missed out on. And the whole purpose of life, in my opinion, is to live with no regrets. So in everything that you do, recognize that there is a bigger calling and there is a bigger picture and don't get lost, lost, in the small minute things that are going on in your day-to-day life, but always look ahead and recognize how your past has gotten you to where you are today and made you the person that you are today. Relish in every moment because the good and the bad makes you who you are. So uh, I, that's how I live with joy is that it's a conscious decision every single day. You're not just going to find happiness. That's right. not how life works. You're not just happy all the time. Right. It's a conscious decision to make your faith, your family, and whatever else that third thing is, your priorities, keep them in line, but also choose to enjoy people, enjoy life. And the good and the bad is what makes life so beautiful. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, my favorite answer so far on that, and I've done about 80 of these and we've, we've posted about um, probably close to 60 of them now. My favorite answer was Bobby Bell, the Chiefs Hall of Famer, who said, I want to live my life so the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral. <laughs> and I think he said the same thing you just said. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's a lot more concise and a lot more well thought out than mine was, but that's but, awesome. But yours was well stated as well. Well, Danny, it's <laughs> always good to catch up with you. Thank you for spending the time doing this. And we'll definitely meet up at a Oh, I forgot their name already. I had a women's professional football game here in Kansas City. Hey, I think that sounds great. Kansas City Glory, Saturday nights. Let's go get crazy. I'm all about all right. it. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.